0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of JavaScript Jabber. This week on our panel, we have Amy Knight.
1: Hello, from Nashville, Tennessee.
0: AJ O'Neill. Yo, 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 coming at you live from Provo. Joe Eames. Hey, everybody. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we have a special
2: guest, and that's Henry Zhu. Hey, everyone. Do you want to introduce yourself real quick, Henry? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm Henry. I, um, I'm one of the maintainers on Babel uh JavaScript compiler. Uh, I live in New York right now. And I guess real quick, I, yeah, I left my job uh, three months ago, March 1st. Uh, I'm trying to work on doing open source full-time and Babel. Awesome. Um,
0: I, I'm kind of torn because part of me wants to talk to you about leaving your job for open source. And we talked a little bit about that. Uh, you and I met... Um, at shake shack in new york city um i was up there for a microsoft event and michael jackson was up there doing some training and anyway got a bunch of us together to to talk and that was terrific and you were talking about some of the um things that you wanted to do with uh with Babel and with your work situation um but yeah Babel is also an interesting project and we've talked to Sebastian McKenzie, who I believe started the project uh, quite a while ago. Uh, maybe you can just give us an update there, and then we can talk about some of these other things that you, uh, that you deal with as you go through, you know, maintaining a large open-source project.
2: Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Sebastian was the original creator of the project. Um, but after... Bowel six, he kind of stepped down. Um, he got burnt out from the work and the community and a lot of the reasons why you leave uh, a project. Um, and I, I guess in short, I happened to be one of the people that was there, um, helping out in a very small way, <laughs> um, by like, you know, just commenting, making some PRs here and there. And me with the group of like four or five people, we all, became maintainers after he left. So he gave me like the um, NPM and git access. Um, It it just ended up being interesting because looking back, I guess uh, maybe that wasn't like the best decision. If it's, you just give people um, access to all that when they don't really know what they're doing. Um, But um, yeah, we were able to fix issues and deal with things for the next few months. Um, And yeah, I learned everything about being a maintainer just through that experience just like everyone else and i don't think any of us had prior experience with being a maintainer or knowing that much about compilers so like a lot of the team basically learned everything on the fly
0: awesome do you want to give people just kind of the the five
2: minute review of what babel is yeah so uh i guess our motto or whatever we say is that babel is just a javascript compiler and The way most people think about it is that it converts a newer syntax of JavaScript into a backwards compatible version of JavaScript. And this is because um, you don't know who your users are, Um, and because um, the version of JavaScript on someone's browser is related to what browser they use, so if they're using an old version, uh, they're not going to have any new updates. And developers always want to use the newest syntax of any language. if they write that new syntax, it's not gonna work on an old browser that your company probably supports, especially if you're like a bank or enterprise company. So you don't wanna leave out those users, so you would use a tool like Babel that converts that new code into an older version of the code. Um, And that's the basic gist of it. Uh, And this is why it used to be called 6 to 5, because it used to convert JavaScript 6, ES6 to ES5. Uh, but now it does more than that because the other thing that's really important, which is unique about the project, is that it helps move the language forward itself. And this has to do with the people that work on the language and Babel can implement things that are not in the language yet um, and to help them get feedback on what can be in the language so that they that developers um, can, can say like, oh, this is not ergonomic enough or it's not performant enough or the syntax doesn't make sense. Um, So it's in a pretty interesting position in terms of the tooling space. Nice.
0: Now, I want to ask one more question and then I really want to just dig into the open source and maintainer world. And I think uh, at least Amy keeps letting us know that she's interested in that too. So um, I guess the other question I have is has much changed not necessarily like an implementation or features but you know it sounds a lot like what sebastian told us about the project when he was on so uh that being said you know is is has has the philosophy i guess or the mission of the project changed uh since we had him on a few years ago
2: i don't remember exactly what he said i haven't I haven't listened to it recently but I think it's the same that um, we we want to align with the language itself. So we don't. We try not to implement like random things that people want. But if something will go into the language or someone present presents it, and, and if a community member has an idea and then someone presents it to the committee, then we'll, we can implement that. But um, yeah, we just want to move the project and the language forward. So whatever that means in terms of implementing new proposals or the tooling around that. Um, it, you know it's at a point where it's such a i guess fundamental part of our ecosystem that it's not just Babel but like oh we should care about the integrations with Val, whether it's like Jest or Mocha or you know Next.js webpack um, all those things and then everything that affects that too so another thing i think about a lot is just like the state of the ecosystem and where we can kind of help out with that as well
1: I was also super surprised in one of your talks you said there's now uh, I can turn my p h p code into JavaScript, so <laughs> I work with uh we have a lot of p h p code in addition to you know node and stuff, and uh, that made me laugh <laughs> so
2: yeah,
0: that was it. really funny. <laughs> I'm compiling WordPress to JavaScript tomorrow <laughs>
1: um okay, so with that out of the way um I've dabbled with open source here and there. But to be honest, I've always been just really, really intimidated. Uh, but at this, like at the same time, you know, I stop and think about when I have learned the most is when, you know, I'm at a new job and I see a new code base and, you know, a new way of going about things. So um, I, I imagine that like working on open source, just like your ability to level up is huge there. Uh, so I would love for you to kind of dig a little bit deeper into how you got started into open source because it was just really, really inspiring for me to hear this.
2: Yeah. Um, I guess first off, I'll say that it's not like, I think it's pretty normal to be intimidated and the way, I'm not going to say that the way the current state of open source is rosy and like it's really easy to get involved. It really is hard to to get involved right now because there's not a lot of I guess, guidance, mentoring, that kind of thing. It's really easy for someone to say, oh, look at the first issue or look at the set of issues. And then you have no context. There's no one there. It's all digital. Um, We're kind of losing that in-person thing that you would have at a job. So I think that's something we can learn from companies where, you know, we have onboarding and people that are like paid to like help you get involved. And and we're trying to learn a lot from open source, but we can learn a lot from just how we do things
3: elsewhere, too. So um, along, that, along those lines, I think this is one of the great like, atrocities that's happening with globalization, where we're really weeding out diversity and creating these amalgamous masses. Like, it's not, like, when we think of open source, it's just GitHub, right? Like, it's not projects and authors and people. It's just everything is GitHub. And one thing that I I would love to see is more decentralization using things like Getee that allow organizations to take more ownership over their projects and give you a better relationship with your community. I use Getee and one of the great things about it is people actually are signing up on my Git. So I have their email address. Like I have their information. Like I can reach out to them. I actually have like, sure, I get fewer stars, but I feel like I'm more connected with the people that are actually joining in on my projects. And that makes me more motivated to want to interact with them because it just it's so much more personal.
1: I actually haven't heard about that. Can you talk about what that is?
3: Uh, Gitty is a clone of GitHub.
1: Okay, maybe I have so, heard of this, kind of this then. Kind of,
3: okay. There's another one called GitLab that's built in Ruby, yeah. but it's super slow keep, and keep takes so much RAM. Yeah, no, keep, keep covering this. Gitee is built in Golang and it's like just a couple of megabytes. It's super fast. It's really easy to install. I'll put a, um, I created an installer for it. I'll put it in the show notes. And I also with Greenlock, you can couple that together so you can get your HTTPS and Gitee through let's encrypt. Um, so I'll put that link in the show notes. I don't want to diverge on that, but I think those, I would love to see more people using decentralized things like that. And, and I think once we have a federated login system, the decentralization of, of open source could really explode, but that's still kind of a missing piece too.
2: Yeah, it's really interesting. I guess, yeah, GitHub definitely has a all the market share right now. So when I talk to them, I always try to bring up like, yeah, figuring out how to change not just like the UI, but how they think about designing it so that it's more about community because a lot of the community is outside of GitHub where it's like through slack or twitter or your chat channels or meetups and conferences um and where the you know the interaction you have with your users via issues are is usually a negative experience so it's like how can they think about changing that
3: again i think that kind of thing i i think first we need more i don't know if there's a good project for federated authentication right now because that's like the one key pin that's if you have to have everyone log in through Facebook, you still have to have everyone log in through Facebook or GitHub or, you know, if you only are limited to three options, then you still don't have like real diversity in how people can connect. But if that were somehow solved, I think there's a lot of decentralized movement around chat platforms and stuff where things could kind of integrate willy nilly where you could use one client over here and someone else use a different server over here, just like back in the IRC and email days. And that's, that's what I'd love to see again because I I feel like open source is so much more closed now that we have everything on Slack and stuff like that.
1: So Henry, can you kind of actually share the details about like the, the very first, you know, PR you had that landed and you know, where you went from there?
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, Well, I I think I did some like PRs before, but I kind of forgot. And then what happened was I joined uh, my first, Job in when I was in Georgia, and I met someone um, Jonathan Neal, and he was really into open source and at the time, I was like, "Oh, we're using all this stuff. It would be cool to contribute. How do I get started? He basically just told me, you, got, you should just like start looking at it and I guess all that I only needed that encouragement from someone like at my company to be like, "Oh, maybe I should look into this because I didn't even want to check out the repo um, and the project happened to be angular one and um i tried doing a a lot of the things that most people would do is like look through the code for the first time and uh look through the issues but none of those made sense so i think i randomly stumbled upon an issue that said something about fixing the code style and because of that uh that seemed pretty simple because it was just you know changing things manually um and so i basically made all my commits to just change formatting I was able to talk to one of the maintainers um, and told me that, you know, you have to make each of these commits uh, separately. So I was going to just change everything in one commit. He's like, oh, you got to make multiple. So at the time, because I really wanted to, like, uh, be involved in open source, which meant in my mind, oh, I want to be on the contributors list. Then the more commits I had, the better. So I had like 28 commits on on Angular. And um, that I guess that felt really good at the time. Uh, When I didn't really do anything, but that was a really great intro because it was, it's almost like working on infrastructure helps because you don't have to understand the core stuff. It's just like, oh, I get to see the code, um, maybe run the tests, install things, just get a a gist of what's going on. Um, And that made it easier to like look into it further. Um, I guess the problem was that it it didn't lead me to work on Angular more. It just led me to think, oh, this other project that told me where the linting errors were is even more interesting. So I found that project um, and I got involved in there even more. Um, and that project was JSCS. Uh, and because of that, that the code base for that was a lot simpler and you know, like independent where I didn't have to understand the core concepts to contribute. Um, and through that, I kind of slowly you know did fixes and documentation features uh and you know over the next year or so I, I ended up being a maintainer. Um yeah.
1: I love it. Thank you.
2: Yeah it's it's really interesting. And
0: I I just I, I kind of love the ideas around getting in and contributing to open source. And you're one of the primary maintainers at Babel and you got into open source just like everybody else who gets in open source does. Or did.
2: Yeah. Um, and to relate the bowel part, um, so another one of the reasons why I thought this linter was so interesting was because I've, um, I guess it's just because I'm lazy. Like, I don't want to fix all these errors manually. So the idea of auto-fixing was really interesting at the time. And so I wanted to get more involved in the project to figure out this issue of auto-fixing. Um, and so uh, I got involved and we introduced like a dash dash fix, which later we merged with ESLint and now we have Prettier. But at the time we didn't have any of these things. And through that, I learned more about like how the linter worked. And I found out that linters basically do a similar thing to what Battle does, where it manipulates the an AST, abstract syntax tree. And so learning about how that worked, um, where you try to, find certain parts of the code and you throw an error. And I later looked at Babel and I realized, oh, it's the same thing. You're looking at different parts of the code, but instead of throwing an error, you just replace it with different code. Um, and so that, there was like that transition there where like even Babel, which was a compiler. And at the time I thought that was like too complicated or things that I didn't want to go into because it was too low level, became a lot more approachable to me, even though I never took a class on compilers or anything like that. You mean you don't have to be a compiler genius to do this stuff? <laughs> um, sure, sure feels like you have to do, you have to be. It, I think it does, but it seems like it, but it's funny. Cause I, I mentioned that like nobody on the team, like, I don't think they read a book about compilers. I definitely didn't. And Sebastian who made the project, he created in the first place to learn about how they worked and learn ES6, which is pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, I think I think the whole point here, at least for me, is just, yeah, you know, you didn't have any formal training on it. You got in, you got involved, you learned how it worked, and then you're maintaining it. Um, I, I really want to dive into kind of the sustainability and going full-time on open source. And uh, Eric Berry is a good friend of mine. He's uh, He runs CodeFund.io, which was Code Sponsor. We've had him on the show before. I actually had breakfast with him this morning and then have done two podcasts with him today. Since then, because he's on the panels for Ruby Rogues and Elixir Mix, but um, we've had long conversations about the sustainability of open source, and you know, just people burning out, or how do you support people who do this? You're going full time doing it, so so how do you how do you pay for that? I I know that some people have used different models, and I'm curious what your approach is.
2: Um, so it's still relatively new. Uh, since it's only been a few months for me. So I think the approaches are like, there are, I guess I'm going to be trying a lot of different approaches. There is like the straight up donation, which is Patreon and Open Collective. And Mm -hmm. I don't think you can really rely on that initially, of course, because you're starting from zero. And it just takes time for that to come up. And it's pretty unstable because, say even with my Patreon, now I have like 1,500 a month. And when I started, I think I had like up to three thousand, but two people dropped out um, in the first month. Maybe they just wanted to support that first month to help boost it. Um, But you know, I can't rely on that for like my rent and stuff like that. Um, And with Open Collective, it's better because most companies would rather pay the project rather than the person working on the project. Right. Uh, It makes sense to them, even though I yeah. and that, that seems to be going better. And maybe it's just because I started the Open Collective a lot earlier um, than the Patreon. I I wasn't able to create the Patreon for myself or even take out money from the Open Collective before because it would be a conflict interest with my job. So I had to leave and then start it. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, because I had more time and it's for the project, it's a lot easier for companies to, to do that. And I think that Um, something to think about is just that every project is different and every your situation is different too. So like if you're a smaller project, you probably, you might not be able to get the amount of funding that Babel could potentially make um, just because of the position that it's in in the ecosystem or, um, you know, being able to like go to almost any company and at least talk to them, even if they don't donate is a really good opportunity for me and the project. So
0: yeah, I just, I know, I, I mean, we can all think of different um, projects that were large, everybody used, maintainer got burned out, or decided to move on to something else, and then we're all in a heap of trouble, and it's like, who's going to maintain this thing? And so, yeah, you know, I just encourage people yeah. to, you know, go find the Open Collective, go find the Patreon, go find whatever, you know, these folks need to, to keep this alive. Um, you know, another example, I think, I think um, Evan Yu, who works on the View project, you know, he also has a Patreon and, and is uh, kind of living on that. And I mean, with so many people using tools like um, Vue or Babel, or I mean, everybody uses Babel, if, if you, if you compile, you know, from ES6 or 7 or whatever we're on now, ES2018, I guess, you know, down to um, ES5, you're probably using Babel, and somebody's putting time in. And you know what would it cost your company to hire somebody to maintain your version of Babel? I mean, it, you, you're getting a killer deal, even if you just throw a couple hundred bucks toward the maintainer. And I think a lot of times people, you know, we we just don't think about it because it's not at the front of mind. It's something that we've just kind of gotten used to, and we don't think about it, and we take it for granted. And I'm I'm always encouraging people, you know what, go contribute. If you you can't contribute monetarily, go contribute in some other way, you know, just just to make it move forward, make it a little bit easier on these folks because a lot of these people are doing it for free.
1: So do you have good strategies for preventing burning out from this stuff or do you think it's just kind of a a phase, you do it for a while and then you pass it on to a new person?
2: Well, I I guess I I don't know if I would tie like burnout with passing it on. Yeah, I, maybe, you know, it just depends on what your goals are. And not everyone wants to work on things full time. And a lot of people, usually if you're more of a creator, then you'll just make it and you're like, this is really cool for me. And if you want to use it cool, uh, you you get the curse, I guess, of making it really popular and now you have to maintain it and you didn't really want to in the first place. Then you would want to figure out how to pass that on. Um, and I don't, the problem is we don't really have like, no one's like teaching you how to be a maintainer or do open source or, or like what happens when you, you know, suddenly this company uses it and like you get all these downloads. We're trying so hard to get downloads and then you realize that you don't really want it um, because of all the burden that you have. Um, and so a lot of people suggest, you know, it's like even in the beginning of a project, you should be already asking for people that are interested in the vision of what this is so that it's not just one person. But, um, yeah, I think for, for me, it's about thinking a lot more long-term, which means that I am committed to like moving this thing forward. Um, and I think having a vision and like thinking in that way will help with the burnout in the sense that like the short-term decisions, um, maybe they, it won't, they shouldn't be as bad as you might think they are in the moment or it's like, okay, I'm thinking a lot longer. It's like, is this really important right now? Um, yeah.
1: That makes sense. It's helpful.
0: Yeah. I know, I know a few people that they, uh, they maintained a widely used project and it just got to the point where they kind of wanted to move on to something else. So it wasn't burnout. It was just, yeah, you know, my priorities are different. So but then they actually went out and found somebody to take over for them.
2: Yeah. I I guess the, one of the issues is that the time, usually it's like, it's not like it's too late, but like the time when you're actually like, Oh, I think I need someone. You're already pressured. You're already feeling the burden and guilt. And and it's funny when you like ask people online, Hey, I'm looking for contributors. Well, now that's even more work for you because you have to explain how it all works and all that. And that might even make it even worse for you. So it's a, It's like almost, it's never too early to kind of get other people on board. Um, Or you should like kind of change the message around how you want people to use this thing or that kind of thing. Um, Yeah, there's definitely a lot of uh, soul searching you have to do in that sense too.
1: I know Kent Dodds has a lot of resources. Like he has a course um, on Egghead on how to get into open source. And he started, um, I'm blanking on what it's called but there is a website you can go to to kind of see a list of different open source projects that have like beginner friendly uh, issues do you have any advice other than that for people that want to get into it
2: um i feel like a lot of my advice like changes um I, I think it is pretty. It's a pretty good idea to work on some, like get involved in something that you either already use or you're like interested in. Like, I don't know if you should just join a project because like it's popular or yeah, something like that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I I feel like if you have something that you're using in your day to day work and you see a way to improve it or you see a bug and maybe you want to fix it, that's like a really great way because you kind of have it. You kind of have more of an investment in it.
2: Yeah, you have context, which is really important. Um it's just the intimidation factor is cuz you don't really know what's going on. So if you kind of you're using it, you understand how the API or whatever it is, the docs, then that and you can just get started through that. I would say that I like this idea because I don't want to tell people that they have to do open source in their free time either. It's like it it's only if certain, you know, people that have the time to do that. Like if you have family, kids, all that, it's just not, or, or you just, you worked all day and now you have to like go back and do open source again. if you're not already interested in doing it, then it it's, it would be way better if you're like, oh, we have a bug and we used Babel, say it was bugging Babel, then I should be able to work on it at work. Um, mm mm-hmm.
1: I know, too, the Read the Source podcast, I don't know if they're still doing it, but they did a couple of really popular projects. And, and again, like stuff moves so fast, it might not be relevant anymore. But people who are interested might want to check out that if it's at all helpful.
2: Yeah, I guess I was just say that, like, even though this might come off as being intimidating, it's like a lot... Uh, you you do have to put time in like a certain level of commitment to get something out of it. It's, I don't think you can just, um, uh, I don't know, like doing a, a first issue is really good, but like, what is, what is the second issue? Um, and this is kind of like a problem that we've had for the maintainer side. It's like, it's really easy to make a new issue, but, um, but they're going to ask for more the, the next time and then may not have it or you don't know. Um, it's a lot more effort on the maintainer side to to make it feel like it's uh, there's there's progression and people are moving forward and you're and you're responsive and available. Um, so there's like a weird conflict because you like you want to be welcoming, you want to be inclusive, you want to make give opportunities to people, but then you also have limited time, and you ultimately want to have more maintainers, not necessarily contributors, because the contributors there it's more work for maintainers
1: that makes sense too. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Something I've been thinking about is a way to scale like contributions. um, I haven't implemented anything like this yet. So it'd be cool if someone thought about this more in more depth. Um, So normally you make a good first issue and maybe it'll take you like 15 minutes to write out all the steps because you don't want someone to just like you don't want to write just like one sentence here, do this thing. And it's, it's easy when you don't, you have no idea. And so you explain all that. They might, and only one person can work on this usually. Right. Cause you'll say like, Hey, if you're working on this, please leave a comment. So someone else doesn't do the same thing. And you have two PRs and you can only merge one of them. Uh, but the problem with that, that means it's like a one-to-one ratio. Like every time I have to come up with like a, an issue um, and only one person can solve it. And there aren't like, how many times can we continue to do that? Um, and there's always people asking to contribute and get involved, and we don't always have this like pool of issues. Um, and so it's so I'm thinking one idea I had was instead of asking someone to fix an exist like an issue that that hasn't been fixed yet, we should maybe think about suggesting fixing something that has already been fixed. Um, and so the idea there is kind of like a it's almost like we can create a curriculum on contributing based on past contributions. So finding a good bug or a good PR that was there before and then using that as an example of how someone could do something. So for Battle, maybe uh, one could just be like, oh, I made a new plugin and we can explain all the steps that it takes. And then the cool thing is that at the end, you know, anyone can, Um, try this out and they can check their work against the merged PR. So they have like a way to check their answers. And it's not like a fake thing that we made up, but it's like a real um, thing that was merged eventually in the code base.
0: This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. I like the idea. It'd be interesting to see how exactly it would work out.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure either. I, I just think it's a it would be an interesting way to be able to like, oh, 100 people can actually all work on this. Maybe they can collaborate together, talk about it together, Right. Um, and it kind of another reason is I don't want it to be about getting your name on the contributing list, even though that is a good incentive to start. Like, um, I'm not sure if that's the kind of behavior we want to promote. It's like, oh, I, I have hundred commits and you have 90 or something. <laughs> that kind of thing. And when here it's like, oh, it's about collaboration. It's about learning. And no one's like trying to be the first one to submit something because it's already done. Yep.
4: You know, the whole thing sounds a lot more complex and involved and like, it sounds like you're doing as much people managing as technical managing. Would you say that that's true? Is that like as a percentage of your time, is it more organization and less
2: technology? At this point, yeah, I think it's almost all people management. So, um, I it's only technical in the sense we don't have that many people, so I have to play every role anyway. Um, and I, I'm it would be nice if we had more and then it's like, I, I, maybe I feel more comfortable with kind of deferring everything, which I, I would be. So I try to do that as much as possible.
4: Hmm. So how, big, how many people are you like interacting with on like a daily or weekly basis when running a project of
2: this size? Um, in terms of the like project itself, I guess we have maybe less than 10 people. So like five or six, give or take on a given day in our, in our um, Slack for, like, development. But, I mean, there are people that come in every so often because we'll, because it's Bowel, we have, like, a lot of people that might ping or have questions about how they're using it in their project. So whether it's, like, Webpack or something, another tool that uses Bowel. The interesting thing about Babel is, like, because it's a language thing, we kind of somehow, um, like, affect, like, you almost have to know like every other tool, too, especially if there's like a bug. It's like, oh, I have a bug with JSX, so now you have to know about React, or I have a bug with how I'm using it with Vue or TypeScript or something like that. Um, so that, that's always interesting because you might not even know about a tool or, or a framework or something. Huh,
4: interesting. So of your time that you spend, is a lot of it just teaching and educating then? Or are you trying to organize resources as well?
2: Yeah, um, I mean, this is something I've been doing, trying to do recently. Although I I, I want to do that more, so I feel like the most the best use of my time is probably just to write documentation about how we would like to maintain the project. Um, so like more meta level stuff around that, so that when people do come in, they don't have like maybe we did add them as a collaborator, but they have no idea how we do things, um, and Uh, It seems pretty obvious that we should have to do that. And that would free me to do other things as well. Yeah, it's difficult because, yeah, we just don't have a lot of docs on, yeah, a lot of things. And and you're always trying to prioritize, like, oh, should we put out this fire here? Or everyone, like, in the issue, they all think their thing is the most important thing. And I would like to do all of them, but, you know, it's really hard to do that prioritization because, and I don't have another person telling me, like, a program manager telling me what to do. So it's like, okay, I guess we have to decide what that is. And it's, it's sometimes it's really hard to do that, especially when you don't really have, like, hard deadlines or anything. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine.
4: Do you find yourself spending as much time worrying about what to do next as actually doing what's next?
2: Um. <laughs> That, that is always a thing in the sense that you don't, it's not that I don't want to disappoint people, but um, a lot of the decisions that we make are going to affect and, you know, other developers and whether it's adding some more configuration because, you know, person A wanted this and the person B wanted the opposite thing and now person C is like, why do we have two options? I don't know which one is right and we don't have a good default, um, especially for a compiler. Uh, it's just really difficult to come up with this decision. And, you know, maybe part of it is just being able to just say, okay, you know, we're in the position to make a decision. It's better than not doing anything unless, or or else we stall. And maybe this is why, like, with Battle 7, which is the, the next uh, major version, it's been, like, over a year now because we're still trying to figure out, like, oh, what do we want? And then there's feature creep, and we keep cutting things away, and then people they're busy with other life things um, and it's hard to release. And then people are asking me like every day, it's like, Oh, when's the next version coming out? I'm like, okay, which next month. And then every next month it says, Oh, I said next month. Um, and so there could be a lot of internal pressure that builds up. Maybe, you know, everyone's just asking like, just, just to be curious, but in your mind, you're like, Oh, there's this huge pressure to like make something that's to actually release it. But then also that people don't get, so mad they're going to write a blog post that this was like the worst decision ever, that kind of thing.
4: How many people have written a blog post since you've been running things?
2: <laughs> I, I don't know. I, and I'm, I think I, that's good that I don't know. Uh, <laughs> there's probably a lot of things I don't, yeah.
4: Well, I think that actually leads into another very interesting aspect of this whole thing, which is how do you manage your... Motivation as far as staying away from all the negativity that could certainly be out there because, you know, it's certainly true that no matter what you do, there's always somebody that's going to be unhappy with it. Um, So how do you manage that as being, you know, in such an important position uh, that can affect so many people's lives? Do you just ignore everything that's said out on the Internet?
2: Um. I would like to I think uh, we all have. I think we all kind of know what we should do, but it's really hard to like do that in reality. Like, you know, I should not um, It's basically that I don't want to do these certain behaviors, but I've made a habit of doing them. So that could be as simple as like You know, like people checking their email all the time or GitHub notifications or Twitter notifications or all these notifications and it's like why Why am I actually doing that? But it's just because we've gotten in the habit of doing it every day or every, I don't know, every hour. Um, And then until you kind of, maybe you have to get burnt out and then you finally realize like, oh, I need to cut back. Or Mm -hmm. you finally realize like, this is, I'm I'm aware of this issue um, and I need to create like uh, intentional habits that kind of um, do the opposite of what that is, which is why do I care so much about what people think about the project to the point that I need to look at all the time? I should care about what people think in general, because I want to we would like to change how, how we interact with each other and in our community and the culture, but um, not to the point where I need to have to feel like I have to respond to everyone or, or, or I first personally get, um, get offended and that kind of thing. Um, And that's really hard to do. Um, especially by yourself. So ideally, yeah, you have a support group, you know, in the team itself I mean outside, like it's, it's definitely a, um, a personal thing. It's a hard, a hard thing. It's not just like a, Oh, I don't believe that the answer is like, Oh, just tough it out or like ignore th- everything, that kind of thing either. Um,
4: So sort of a balance of the two things. And when you do see stuff that's really negative, really criticizing what's been going on, uh, how do you how do you handle dealing with that and taking the actual constructive criticism out of the hatred?
2: Yeah, I think that kind of depends on where you're at at the moment. Like, you know, maybe everything was great that day, and then you're just like, oh, that's kind of funny, and then you kind of ignore it. Um, or maybe it's like build been building up the whole time and you realize like I can't engage cause it's just going to get a lot worse if I, if I say something. Um, yeah, I don't think there's any cut or, or dry reason to be able to be like, okay, this is the formula for how to deal with that. Um, yeah, I, I guess <laughs> I don't know if I have any advice and maybe I've been able to deal with it, but or and I don't know if I have any, uh, specific recommendations um i don't know i guess my what i would say is it's really hard (laughs) um and i'm not some like superhuman that was able to like deal with (laughs) even though maybe like online uh, people might see like oh wow you're really like calm and collected and or or this just doesn't happen that kind of thing um it still affects me for sure um you know it it questions like what you're doing you know whether this is is this really still what you want to do if this is if this kind of stuff is happening all the time, um does it does it relate to your identity in, in terms of like, oh, this project is me and I have to and I'm taking it personally? Or am I can I be outside of that? Yeah, and it's hard to to do that because it is part of you. Um, as much as I would you want to, you know, be objective, um, if especially if you're like deciding to do this full time, it it literally is a part of you in terms of your work.
4: Right. I'm sure. Well, I'm sure we also have a lot of listeners that do projects that are public, that, you know, are involved uh, in the public and have a public eye and that face similar issues. And I'm sure it's interesting to them to see how somebody like you deals with these sorts of issues
2: and just deals with the Internet in general. Right. And it's interesting because you might feel really bad about saying anything negative or complaining uh, especially like in public or online, because that's just gonna. Well, it'll look, it'll, because then it'll see that, okay, um, maybe I don't wanna be involved in open source. But then maybe you do wanna share because I wanna be able to show the reality of what it's like. It's not all positive, um, and people have to deal with things. But like, how do you talk about it like that? And I don't think it it would be good to talk about it if, in just like a tweet or something, and say, like, okay, maybe this requires something like a blog post or, or talking about it and just making it more like personal instead of just some random thoughts that you have or, or, just like being frustrated in the moment. Yeah. Right. Do you have any like rules or guidelines you follow,
4: uh, when dealing with the internet? And do you consider, does it, do you feel like that's a really big part of what's going on or is the like unreasonable hatred a fairly small, um, it infrequent occurrence with something open source like uh, and a very positive project like Babel, or are you just affecting so many people's lives that no matter what you do, somebody's always upset about something.
2: Yeah, I think that's true. The latter, um, <laughs> uh, I, yeah, because it's it's almost. It, like, yeah, I think most people would think that it's easier to complain about something than say something positive. Um, and a lot of times, the only reason why they would say something is because there's an issue with it. You know. If they're on Slack, they're not going to, usually people don't join the Slack to tell you like, hey, you did a really good job. It's usually they join the Slack and then they give you the error message and they say, help me. Or on Twitter or GitHub, um, the default is not, uh, it's not even neutral even, it's, it's usually negative. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what, it's like, what kind of people are we inviting because of this, the nature of how this works? Uh, where it's like you sign up and it's just there. We just assume that like everyone on the other side is they don't even know who they are. There's just some random person. Um, it's like how do we bring a more human element into the digital space, which is really hard. I, I feel like if we knew that you know the the person on their side was you know their name and all that stuff, you probably wouldn't say that to their face. Um, So it's like, I would like to think about how we either bring more of that element to the digital space or start moving things off to make it more in-person anyway. Um, But it's just hard if all we're doing is talking to each other through Twitter and that kind of thing.
3: Right. Again, agreed.
2: (laughs) And um, I think before, like, before we had everything here, we had a lot more context into who people were, and, you know, there was a... I guess there's probably unspoken rules that everyone agreed with, um, and everything was more manageable, but here it's like, you know, anyone in the whole world, which is part of the, the benefit of open, open source is that anyone in the world can interact with each other, but there's also the negatives that come with it. So it's a lot of us trying to figure out, like, how do we um, almost create limitations and boundaries which can kind of seem maybe unintuitive or a bad idea or against the spirit of open source, but you have to have boundaries somewhere. Um, We want everything to be open per se and like anyone can join, but also there's just a limit to how much you can handle. And that's ultimately going to be bad for everyone. Um, And so there's, we want to do a little bit of pushback, but it's hard to talk about it now if people might see that that's, um, I guess, hostile
3: to new people. Right. Right. So earlier you were talking about like how to get into open source, and it's kind of hard and there's just like a list of issues there. And so in one point you mentioned was that it's actually a lot of work to get a contributor because you have to train them in the right way. You have to like educate them on where things are like, so it's really more an act of service to them than it is to you. Um, to, to get individual contributions, um, and I, I think part of the solution to that for people looking to get into open source to really be a benefit and not a, a burden. I mean, although I, I think you know, there's plenty of us out there that you know during different phases of our our you know work, we're able to to give that service to help you to contribute to our project. Um, but is to find something that you personally are interested in and personally are interested in learning, and you know attack a problem that you want to solve rather than just trying to say like oh well this is a cool project I'll find an issue here. But like you know wh- where is it that you have your actual problem yourself? And because then you're more motivated to dig in and you kind of know you know probably the flow of like what the steps are and how to get to the area that needs a change.
2: Yeah, and I think um, sometimes the person in that position doesn't realize they're probably they're more knowledgeable about that issue than the maintainers themselves, maybe because they they they're in the context of you know if it was a bug that the code caused this thing and it had this error message. They they know everything that happened and they know a lot more than the maintainer. And it almost they have this assumption that like if I just give them this error message, they have this database in their brain that like looks up what it is. Um, and they know the answer immediately, where they have more context, but they still have to figure it out too and it 's kind of like a you you're in a good position to figure it out as well, and you can even become an expert in whatever that is and I think that's if we put it in that way, I think that 's pretty like empowering and 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 really cool to to be able to i guess change that kind of attitude and i don 't want to think that like all contributors are burdens to um maintainers it 's just when there's a lot and I, it's not like people maintainers don't want to help people they want to help a lot of people it's just there's that I don't know it just gets it gets to be a lot when um you're already dealing with everything and another person is there and they feel even more guilty like oh i really want to help you but i can't at this time
0: anything else we want to dive into here before we go to picks i think i'm out of questions all right and everyone else is silent so we'll we'll do picks this episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the hosting provider I use for DevChat.tv. I also use it for my applications that manage the RSS feeds, scheduling, and sponsorships involved in delivering these shows. DigitalOcean is easy to use, has data centers all over the world, and provides terrific services including server hosting and object storage for delivering your web applications and assets quickly and easily. I use DigitalOcean because I love their interface. I get SSD storage for my servers, and their support replies quickly. So go check them out at DigitalOcean.com. Uh, Amy, do you want to start us off with picks?
1: Yep. So the first one, it's been forever, Joe, that I've had a cat pick. And I did not buy this, but somebody sent it to me, and I thought it was absolutely hilarious. Uh, (laughs) But it is a desk with some, like, little kind of cubby holes in the bottom of it so that your cat can roam around the not the top of the desk. Somehow I think the cat's still going to end up at the top of the desk because they just seem to be attracted to the heat of the computer and papers and all that. But there's all these little holes for like the cat to poke his head out. <laughs> uh, and you can actually buy this. So, I, and I'm not buying it either. It's probably too expensive. It looks expensive anyways. <laughs> anyways, um, and then the other one I'll probably actually pick the book and go into details on the book in another uh, episode, but I've been reading something called algorithms to live by. And I stumbled upon a post that I feel like kind of relates to what I've been reading there. And it talks about uh, the key to good luck is an open mind and it's a short post, but it just kind of talks about, you know, like we tell our kids don't talk to strangers and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, it's important to have like some context there, but, um, It just talks about, you know, a a lot of people who are quote unquote, lucky, they just kind of put themselves out there in different opportunities that would enable them to be blessed or lucky or whatever you want to call it. So interesting post. And that's it for me this week.
0: Yeah, that reminds me of a quote I heard and I can't remember who it was, but they basically said that luck is when preparation meets opportunity.
1: Yep. Sounds good.
0: Uh,
3: AJ, what are your picks? Uh, So since I mentioned it earlier, I'm going to pick Getty because I personally really enjoy using it. Um, Things that I like about it, like I said earlier, is that I feel more connected with my community. Um, I feel like my projects are more valuable because people are taking the extra effort to click twice to log in to make an issue or whatever. And I don't know, I just, I, this might sound bad, but I feel like it, it just, weeds out the kind of people that I don't want that can't take that effort and, and brings me closer to the people that I, that I do want. And I'm really, really satisfied with like the contributions that I get and the interactions that I have. And I, I feel that part of it is because it's developing a community around specific projects. Um, I also really enjoy it because it's personally branded. Um, and I get to load, um, Google analytics on it. So I have my own little logo Uh, up in the top, um, and I get to see, like, who's reading my readmes, and, or not who, but, like, how many people are reading my readmes, and, like, you know, get some of that Google Analytics information, which I feel is really valuable for me to to help me understand where, um, you know, I can put better efforts to increase my projects in addition to what is, you know, best for me, but being able to look at the way that other, other people are, are viewing it or what pages they're hitting. Um, so I think that's really great. And then um, I'll just post a link here as well to GreenLock. And I'm going to I'm gonna get some, some documentation on how to use the two together so that it's like 30-second install done. But I've got an install script that I'm, I'm linking to. So anyway, Git is the main one. Um, I love it. I really hope that more people begin to use it because I think that open source will become a lot better as we become a more diverse community and less of a monoculture. Cool. Joe, what are your picks? All right,
4: so I got two picks, um, both entertainment-related, just because they're on my brain right at the moment. The first one is the new Star Wars movie, Solo. It's actually gotten not great reviews, and even audience scores are fairly low for it, but I thought it was amazing and a really enjoyable and a good addition to the Star Wars universe. Had a fun time watching it, a lot of nostalgia for older Movies. So, if you haven't seen it because of what other people or critics have said, definitely give it an opportunity and go see the solo movie. And then, in addition, in related relation to you know something to watch, there's an old or slightly older TV show that's been off the air for quite a few years now, like five or six years, I think. Called Justified. That's uh, about a U.S. Marshal in Tennessee. Very enjoyable show just actually been re-watching the whole series and enjoying it uh, quite a bit. So those are our picks.
3: I have to second that I've only heard people that I know say good things about Solo despite the negative reviews online.
0: Yeah, I have to say that uh, when I heard about the movie and then saw the previews, I was cautiously pessimistic. So I'm hoping that I can go see it and then be like, oh, Oh, I was pleasantly surprised by that. But anyway, we'll see. Well, I hope so, too. I hope you feel that way. (laughs) I'm going to jump in with a few picks here. Um, The first pick that I'm going to throw out is, uh, since we're on the entertainment kick, um, I've been re-watching the first few seasons of Orphan Black. Um, It's a BBC America show, and and I've really enjoyed it. It is uh, not a family-friendly show. I'll just put it that way um but i have really enjoyed it um and then i have also been uh, listening to audiobooks and the one that i just finished that i really liked was uh crucial accountability uh which talks about how to address people who are not uh living up to their commitments and so that could be people uh like your boss or it could be people who will work for you or people you live with or anyway and it talks about Um, basically how to decide whether or not to confront them. And when you do confront them about it, um, how to go about having the conversation so that you can uh, achieve a mutually beneficial outcome. And, uh, you know, it talks a whole lot about um, not manipulating people, but actually, you know, hearing them out, finding out why and what. Anyway, it was a really, really good book. So um, I'm going to recommend that. Uh, Henry, do you have some picks for us?
2: Yeah, so one is uh, I I played a, a game called Celeste on the Switch um, a few I think it was a month ago or something and I really like that um, it's a platformer kind of like Super Meat Boy I think you get it on Steam as well but it's a it's really cool the really good art uh, music even the stories uh, talking about um, some really interesting topics um, and then next is. Uh, Zeit day um, I gave a talk there like two weeks ago in San Francisco, and they just uploaded all the talks from there. so I just asked everyone can check that out.
0: All right, if people want to follow you online or see what you're working on these days, where do they go?
2: Um, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter um, my Twitter handle is left underscore pad uh, and then and then I guess the Patreon the open Collective as well
0: Awesome all right well, we'll make sure we get links to all of that in the show notes and uh yeah folks um go contribute uh, and i mean that both you know on, on the code on the docs and monetarily if you can yeah or you can just say nice things <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right well, we'll wrap this one up and we will catch everybody next week bandwidth for this segment is provided by cashfly the world's fastest cdn